0: Hey, uh, it's been an awesome week. Uh, Jeff Morris is here. (laughs) Some of you guys, uh, you don't need to clap for him, but uh, they they called, uh, a bunch of you were calling the church because on the radio this week, they announced that Jeff Morris took his own life. And uh, it was a different Jeff Morris than the Jeff Morris from our church, from William L. Morris Chevrolet, different guy. Okay, so uh, he's alive, he's here, and we're glad he's here. He didn't take his own life, but I'm sure someone will take her someday. (laughs) Because he's taking a, No, because he's taking a stand on the Word of God and taking a stand on some issues that other people won't. And, uh, and it's a lot about what we're talking about today, about taking a stand for God and just saying, you know, I don't fear anyone. I fear God and God alone. I'll say what needs to be said, and if you want to kill me, kill me. But uh, this is my God, and I will scream for him. I will worship him. I will live for him. I will die for him. You see, because we were talking about hypocrisy and, you know, we were talking about hypocrisy a couple weeks ago about how, remember when I brought the manure cake, you know, and the frosting and all that stuff, and just about how, you know, that's how so many of us are. We got all these layers of frosting that make us look good, but inside we're full of it. And we, we talked about how, you know what, we need to get real with who we are, and it was awesome. We talked about that and how, how people did it. You know, what was so cool is I got emails, I got phone calls, people saying, you know what? after your message you know after i heard what jesus said about hypocrites i went and i confessed to my wife i confessed to my husband i confessed to my kids I get, you know different people just coming clean and and you talked about the pain and how hard it is to be honest and say okay this is who i really am and the pain you went through but then just the joy afterwards and just going ah oh, it's so nice the rest of my life i don't have to live a lie anymore and uh and there's that type of hypocrisy in it. and if you haven't come clean yet you know maybe we'll get you today because uh, jesus continues on this theme but it's a different type of hypocrisy because there's another type of hypocrisy that takes place in the church see some people hide their sin other christians hide their christianity it's, it's the idea of you get around people that don't love jesus don't believe in jesus and suddenly you want to hide who you really are you don't want them to know that you're such a jesus freak or that you're so in love with god and so you mask it you see as christians we, we're going to deal with both types of hypocrisy we'll come to a place like this and we'll want to pretend that we've got our lives all together so we're not rejected by christians but then when we're out in the world and we're amongst un- you know unchristian non-christian people then we'll want to pretend that we're not really Christians or that, well, I don't really love God that much. I'm not crazy about it. And we try to hide it and we don't want to say anything. And so this is kind of what Jesus is dealing with this time with his disciples saying, you know what, you guys, make sure you're not a hypocrite. Just Just speak out. Say who you really are. See, in in Luke chapter 11, remember, he's confronting the Pharisees, and he gets in their face, he just reams them because they're so fake. But then in chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Meanwhile, so as that's going on, it says, A crowd of many thousands gathered, so that they were trampling on one another. And Jesus began first to speak to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Okay, so, so I want you to picture this. Jesus confronting the Pharisees, and then after that, it says a crowd gathered where thousands of people, and this isn't a normal crowd. This is not a crowd that just politely came up and sat down and says, what's he going to say? It says that they were trampling on one another. Have you ever been in a crowd of people where it's just wall-to-wall people, and they're in a rush to get somewhere to where you feel like, I can't trip. If I trip, I die. They'll just run right over. You ever been in, like, a sporting event or a concert where it's really that environment you're fearing for your life? I mean, that's the picture the Bible is giving of people coming to speak to Jesus. I mean, coming to see, why? Because they heard of this miracle that was authentic. They heard of something, they're going, no way, and people start rushing. It would be, it would be like if, if today, if we heard today on the news that someone went up to, like, Christopher Reeves, you know, Superman, and touched him and said, walk again he got up and he was fine I mean could you imagine Everyone would be like who is this guy but then let's say that guy goes a step further and starts rebuking all the religious leaders in the world and gets in all their faces it's like who is this guy see that and so everyone just comes piling in thousands to where they're trampling on one another the Bible says coming to hear Jesus and Jesus the first thing he does is he turns to his disciples he turns first to his disciples before he addresses the crowd. He turns to his disciples and says, You guys, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. He just reamed the, the Pharisees for what they were doing. Then he tells his disciples, You guys, be careful. Don't get caught up in that. See, and that's his words to us. Don't get caught up in the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. He calls it yeast. He doesn't know what yeast is. Yeast is the little package you buy and you, you put it in, in, uh, in dough. And the thing about yeast is, you can't just put yeast in a little part of the dough, can you? If you say, "Well, you know, I put yeast in this part of the lump, but the rest of it isn't, you know, doesn't have any," that's not the way it works. The whole point of yeast is that it spreads. You can't keep it in one area of the dough; it spreads the whole thing. And that's what Jesus says about hypocrisy. See, you can't just you can't just have one lie in your life. It doesn't happen. Once it's okay for you to lie that one time, it's going to spread to all the other areas of your life. you got to cover up that lie. Pretty soon it's a habit of lying, and it's going to spread into all of your life. You either decide to get the yeast out completely, don't put any yeast in, or but once you let it settle in there, it's going to spread throughout all of you. And he's telling his disciples, don't get caught up in this hypocrisy, this whole fake thing. You see, because it's easy, it's easy, it's it's just like contagious. You know how if everyone at work is lying about something, you know, everyone cheats on this, everyone does this, it's just so much easier to go, well, you know, everyone's doing it. And Jesus is saying, hey, you di- disciples, be on your guard. I know this is the example you had. these religious leaders that were always fake, that said one thing and did another. He goes, but don't you get caught up in that. It's contagious. It's a yeast, they'll take you over. Beware of it. Be on your guard. And then he, he, he gives him a very good motivation. Verse 2, he says, There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed. Pay attention to that. There's nothing concealed. The idea of something being concealed means it was covered on all sides. It's like when you lie. Let's face it, we've all lied. Okay? And there have been times when we've tried to hide something. And you know how when you're trying to hide something, you start thinking, okay, this person might find out. So you kind of cover your bases there, and you talk to that person and kind of you know, lie to them so that, okay, okay, they don't know. And you go around, you cover your sides, your bases here, okay, they don't quite know. Okay, seems like I've got this lie contained now. No one can find out the truth of what happened because I've got it concealed now. And what Jesus says, you think you've got it concealed? He goes, there's nothing that's concealed that won't be disclosed. You can't hide. There is nothing you will be able to take with you. No lie that you're going to take to the grave because God's going to expose it. One day, a day's going to come, the Bible says that God's going to bring to light everything that's been hidden in darkness. And it says he will expose the motives of men's hearts. And Jesus here, he says the same thing. And I don't know that it happens anywhere else in Scripture, but Jesus says the same thing four times in a row in different ways. Look what he says look at verse 2 there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed nothing hidden that will not be made known what you've said in the dark is going to be heard in the daylight what you've whispered in the ear in the inner rooms is going to be proclaimed from the roofs okay when Jesus says something four times pay attention he's saying he's telling his disciples remember he's gathering his disciples saying look you see how stupid it is to lie everything's going to be brought out. I don't care if you whispered it in some dark cave, I'll shout it from the mountaintops. It's going to be spread. It's going to be known. So why would you lie? What is the point in it? You guys, I'm going to ask you something. I'm going to ask if you believe the statement I'm about to make. Okay, but don't just nod your head like you would in Sunday school. Just, Just really think it through. Really think through. Do I believe in my heart of hearts this statement? That's this. It will never benefit you to lie. Think about it. Do you really believe that? That it'll never, be, it'll never benefit you to tell a lie? I don't think most people believe that. We think, well, in this situation, if I cover this up, wouldn't I end up getting the better of the situation? And wouldn't it help this person, this? No, I'm asking you, do you believe that it would never benefit? It'll never be to your best or anyone else's best for you to lie. It'll never work out best for you. Do you believe that? Because what it comes down to is whether or not you believe there's a God in heaven who is in control See, that's what this question is based on. Do you believe right now there's a being in heaven who controls everything? That he is sovereign, the Bible says. He's in control. Because if so, then for me to lie, I would have to think that God, as he's watching me, is going to actually bless my life for my deception. See, for me to lie and think it's going to benefit me, I've got to say, okay, God's in control, so he's going to look at me, he's going to see me lie, and he's going to bless me for it. See, I don't think that's going to happen. Or I've got to think that, well, if I tell the truth, God's going to punish me for it, and he's in control. He's not going to make it work out for me. See, if you really believe in the sovereignty of God, then you would believe that, well, there's no point in lying. He sees it. He wouldn't bless me for it. It's not going to work out best for me in the long run. He's in control. See, what are you you hiding? What are you lying about? You're thinking, well, yeah, but if I lie, if I tell the truth, it's gonna hurt, it's gonna, yeah, it probably will at first. But you've gotta trust that there's an Almighty God watching you and saying, wow, he told the truth, she told the truth in a very difficult situation, and and believe that that God's gonna honor that rather than punish you for it in the long run. So Jesus is just getting rid of this, this whole futile thought of lying. And, and what it comes down to, it comes down to what we fear, right? See, why do we lie? Why do we lie to people? We fear their rejection. We fear what they're going to do to us. If they're unbelievers, we're, we're fearing that they're going to label us or call us, you know, these, these Jesus freak, you know, types of people. Or if we're lying to believers, it's because we're scared they're going to, you know, cast us off as these sinners and reject us. You know, and the bottom line is it's, it's a fear you see what what do you fear honestly what do you fear most right now this is such an important question for you to grapple with because what you fear most is going to determine how you live your life you fear people you fear your reputation you're going to do things because of it you fear God more than anything you're going to live differently That's why the next two verses, which has kind of got my vote for the most intense verses in the Bible, verses 4 and 5, Jesus says right there, he says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after the killing of the body, has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Is that very hard to understand? It blows me away because a lot of pastors will get to this point and go, well, when he says fear him, he doesn't really mean fear him. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, he doesn't mean he's going to cast you into hell. It's like, well, man, what Bible are you reading? I mean, if, if Jesus wanted to say, how, how much clearer could he make? He said, he's telling us, and remember, this is not Jesus screaming at the Pharisees. This is Jesus gathering his disciples together before the crowd and what does he call him in that verse verse 4 I tell you my friends he's gathering his friends together and as his friends I mean this is a loving thing to say he says as my friends don't be afraid of people I'm I'm telling you fear God fear the one who has the power to throw you into hell he's telling this to his disciples to remind them look don't you be worried about standing up for me you say what needs to be said don't be afraid of these people be afraid of god do you understand that god commands us not to be afraid of people i mean who are you scared of right now whose admiration are you after god says you fear me and fear me alone he says specifically fear him fear him who after killing the body has power to throw you into hell fear him Psalm 111, verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You understand that? That's the very foundation of wisdom. If you don't fear God, you don't have the tiniest bit of wisdom. Because if anyone has the tiniest bit of a clue, you would realize, man, one day I have to face up to my Creator. Some of you guys, you fear so many things. You're scared of so many things in life. You're worried about so many problems. You know what your biggest problem is? Your biggest problem is one day you have to stand before a holy God in this throne. Imagine it. The Bible says he dwells in unapproachable light, that if I could look up and see him, I would die right now. He's holy. He's set apart. And my biggest problem is I've got to face him one day. One day it's going to be me and that throne and that being with lightning, thunder, fire, 100 million angels all gather around that throne. I've got to stand before him. That's a problem, okay? Paying my bills, whatever else, those aren't real issues anymore. I'm standing before Almighty God, and the Bible says you need to fear that. You fear that moment. You're going to come before God. And the fear of that God, understanding that, that's how your wisdom begins. Then you realize, okay, I better make peace with him. See, but so often we don't start with the premise of a fear of God. And that's why you have so many people, maybe some of you, you sit back in your chairs, you go, "Eh, I don't know if I want to start following Jesus yet. Eh, I don't know if I want to get rid of this sin yet. You know why we do that? Because we don't fear God. There's no urgency. We think of him as this little man up there in the sky, and it's like, oh, no big deal. You know, maybe I'll do this, maybe I'll do that. Maybe he really meant it, maybe he didn't. Now, if you understood who God was, you had a clear picture of him, you'd be urgent about getting things right with the Lord. But it starts with fear. See, a lack of fear in the church, a lack of fear of God is what's destroying the American church. I mean, why why do you think that they're ordaining homosexuals now with the Episcopal church? You think it's because they fear god of course not it's because they fear people oh no people you know they're accepting this so we got to accept it what, what do you think so many churches have lessened their stance on divorce sexual immorality alcoholism greed you think it's because they fear god Ooh, i really think god wants us to change his law no it's because everyone else wants us to change when you fear God, you say, well, you know what? God said it, so I'm not going to alter it. This is what he said, and we're going to take a stand on these things. I had a guy at my house a couple weeks ago. Start started talking to him about God, and I said, what do you, what do you believe? And he says, well, you know, I, I believe your Bible's inspired this and that. But then he says this. He goes, but I, you know, I mean, I have my points of disagreement. And he goes, like, I don't believe God is going to punish anyone. I don't believe in a God that punishes. And he says, I don't believe in absolute right or absolute evil. I don't believe in good or evil, right or wrong, punishment, this or that. And and, and you guys, this is the majority of the world that thinks this way, so it's not like this one individual. No one one wants to believe in a God that would actually punish. I mean, that's hard, it's hard to accept. But he went on with his philosophy and says, well, I think at the end of our lives, God's gonna look at everyone that was ever created. He created them and said, you know what? Here's some areas where you didn't live up to who you could have been, but that's all, come on in. And uh, I said, well, that's beautiful, that's wonderful. But here's the thing, and I I would say this to him, and I would say this to anyone else that has created a philosophy of, of belief outside of Scripture is what I said to him is, that's fine, but you better be right, okay? You better be right. I mean, just out of concern, I said, man, because if this book is true, if the God of this Bible really does exist, you are gonna have to stand before him one day. You understand that? You will stand before that God, and he will look at you and he will say, look, I reveal to you who I am. You heard it, you didn't like who I am. And so you created your own God that you were more comfortable with. And so now you and your creative mind will go to hell. I mean, I I say that not out of a smart out of total concern. That man, if you create some sort of God that that doesn't punish you this or that, then you're betting everything that the God of this Bible does not exist. Because God's revealed himself as he is. And he says, this is who I am. Jesus says, look, I, he does have the power to cast you into hell. And you can argue all you want when you get there and say, well, I didn't think he, he really meant it. You guys, there's no arguing at that point. We've gotta get serious about this. The fear of God has got to be the basic, the foundation of everything we do because it, it, it leads us to, to make some pretty serious decisions. You know, when, when Jesus says that he has the power to cast you into hell, he uses the word Gehenna. Now, Gehenna was an actual place. Um, and actually, it's, it's the Greek translation of the Valley of Hinnom. Um, Hinnom is this, uh, is this deep ravine on the southern side of Jerusalem. Okay, right, right outside the city is this deep ravine. And what they used to do at, at this Valley of Hinnom is uh, back in the Old Testament, People who used to worship Baal or, or the, specifically the god Molech is the parents would actually take their infants and throw them down into this ravine and it was filled with fire and they would sacrifice their children to this god Molech. And God in 2 Kings talks about how detestable that is in his sight. He hated it, you know, their practices, but it was in this valley of Hinnom. Now, later on, that same valley, that same ravine was used as a, as a dump. It was outside of the city, and that's where they would burn the the dead animals and all the refuse and all the waste, and so there was a constant burning. There was always a smoldering fire in this valley of Hinnom. There was always smoke coming coming up day and night, and so it became the symbol or the word they would use as that place of eternal torment, a place where the fire would never die, Jesus says in Matthew. I'm sorry, in Mark, uh, I think, 13. And he, he talks about how the fire never dies there, and it's this picture of an eternal punishment. And Revelation talks about where people are tortured day and night, forever and ever. That's what Jesus is talking about it. There's no confusing it. And there are many people who have started new religions in the last 100 years or so to, and said, you know, we believe everything except for the hell part. And, uh, and, and we take that out, and yet, you guys, the truth is, is we, we get rid of it because people don't like it. <laughs> Uh, not out of a fear of God, but if we really feared God, we'd say, well, he says it's there, I say it's there. Um, this fear of God, we have to fall back on. It's like this. Those of you who are parents, some of you are kids, great, either way, it works. You, uh, you know how, as a parent, you would love your kids to clean their room because they love you, right? And just say, Dad, I love you so much. I know how you like my room cleans. Look what I did. You know, it's like, oh, you know. And, and the truth is, is every once in a while, it happens. Every once in a while, you see them do something because they love you and everything else. But most of the time, we go to plan B, right? Which is <laughs> do it or else, you know? And the kids go and do whatever you tell them to do. Why? Because you're the parent. See, in Christianity, it's not that different. It'd be awesome if we as believers, every time would think, gosh, God's done so much for me. I trust him as a father. I will be honest because because you know what? He's giving us these commands for my good, and I trust him, so I'm gonna live according to his commands because I love him. And you guys, the truth is, is as we mature in our Christian faith, that happens more and more. But when it doesn't, we need to fall back on plan B, where God says, well, then just obey me or else. Obey me because I'm a holy God. And I'd love to tell you that, you know what, the reason why I do the things in my life is because I love God, I'm always motivated by love, I'm always motivated by this trust in this graceful, merciful God. But the truth is, a lot of times, I just do it because big holy God, little man, I better just obey. You know, and that's what it comes down to, a fear of the living God. As Hebrews 10.31 says, it's a terrifying thing to fall into into the hands of the living God. It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Well, after he says this, which is you know, absolutely very intense, and, and some of you guys, you, you hate that passage. I mean, let's face it, some of you don't like the words because you think of Jesus, and you, and you think, no, Jesus was the guy He always spoke with compassion. He was always so tender. He was always petting sheep. You know. And then, because that's what he does in all your pictures, but then you read scripture and scripture Jesus said this he told his disciples the people he loved you need to fear God who can throw you into hell yes fear him yeah Jesus said that and that's hard it's hard for some people to stomach but we've got to preach and we've got to say the things that Jesus said and some people are going to hate this some people watching this on television you absolutely hate this you know but but I got to fear God more I gotta go well, what are you gonna do kill me Ooh, you know you can't kill me unless God allows you to kill me and secondly if you kill me big deal you know see that's that's the point and, and then he, he says this after he says this statement he says in verse six he goes aren't five sparrows and I love this I love the transition he's talking about fear then he goes but aren't five sparrows sold for two pennies yet not one of them is forgotten by God indeed the very hairs of your head are numbered don't be afraid you're worth more than many sparrows okay now this whole sparrow penny thing doesn't really work for us because who buys sparrows for pennies now first of all it's not really pennies okay you guys know that right that they didn't have pennies back then okay it's a new thing pennies nickels dimes okay the, the, but they did have these copper coins and that's the word that jesus uses here is a small copper coin that was called an asseria now try to stick with me an asseria is one sixteenth of a denarius a denarius was a day's wage okay so an Assaria then is one sixteenth of a day's wage and if you work eight hour day it's a half hour's wage so two a series, or two of these copper coins would be an hour's pay. Okay, we got that? Okay, an hour's pay would buy five of these sparrows. It was, it was actually probably not a sparrow, but a, a bird like that, that they would actually buy and eat. Now, let's say an hour's wage for a good-paying job, let's say 20 bucks, okay? Jesus is basically saying, you could buy five sparrows for 20 bucks. But we don't buy sparrows, we buy chicken. So you can buy five chickens for 20 bucks, right? Yeah, some place, I'll show you some places. Um, <laughs> Chinatown, you know, they got fur on them, but, but uh, no, no, you know, no, you can buy five chickens for, for for 20 bucks, and here's the point, okay, let me tell you another story, okay, and this is all going to come around, and you're going to love it. Okay, my, my friend, I got some friends, Carrie and Andrew. a lot of you guys knew Carrie and Andrew Jackson, they used to, to come here and uh, he was a you know big electrician and did a bunch of you know upper scale homes in Beverly Hills and just got tired of it all. So he sold it all and moved to Arkansas. You know, pulled out a couple teeth, moved out to Arkansas, <laughs> and and he bought a chicken ranch. Okay? It's like, whoa, what are you doing? And he went in and bought this chicken ranch and he has these homes and, and basically he every eight weeks he's given hundred and fifty thousand little chicks. Okay, he's given 150,000 little chicks, and he is to raise them in six weeks. He feeds these baby chicks till six weeks, they're full grown. Then Tyson comes, grabs all these full grown (laughs) chickens, butchers them up, and you and I buy them. Five for 20 bucks, you know? But that's the whole point is, man, and so then he has two weeks to clean up the mess, and then they throw in another 150,000 chicks. And this is what he does. And this is happening everywhere. I mean, this is just one little chicken ranch that I know of. And he says, oh man, these places are everywhere. But here's the thing, my, my buddy Jeff went down there to watch them do it, and he says, these guys, when they unload these, they're, they're actually in these big sacks these chicks and they just pour them out and all these chicks just go scattering and then they look around and they find the ones that are sick or you know didn't survive the truck ride real well and they're kind of hobbling around and they've got these big boots on yeah and they just walk around and go, quick, quick, throw them back in the sack okay that's funny <laughs> all right Whose daughter is that? Okay, we, uh, but, but what's my point, okay? This isn't all about poultry this morning. Okay, what, what's the point? The point is, is every one of those chicks, the Bible says God notices them, and God is watching everyone. I mean, think about that. All of those everywhere in the world, that Almighty God would care to notice each one of them And so he says so what do you think he thinks about you you think something happens with you that doesn't go noticed by him he says every time a hair of your head falls out he notices don't say it okay (laughs) but he's saying man he notices everything see it's an amazing it's, it's an amazing thought i mean next time you go to kfc i mean remember I mean have it have it remind you of the love of god you know i mean really to think wait if god notices that little detail in that little chick's life he says man look at yourself god's not gonna let a hair of your head fall out until he decides and that's why this is his motivation to his disciples he says listen is someone going to kill you for standing up for jesus only if god lets them. he won't even let a chicken die unless he decides he says so what do you think he's doing with you and this motivation of who do you need to fear you see when you awe the power of god that's when you appreciate his protection see a lot of us we don't feel secure in god because you never start off with fearing him you never recognize just his holiness his majesty his glory and what he's going to do to this world at the end but once you recognize what he can do and then you recognize that god's watching over me protecting me i don't need to fear anything and finally, in, in verse 8, he says, I tell you, and I love this passage. This is probably the passage a lot of you guys keep in your mind whenever you, uh, you're scared to acknowledge him or you're scared to speak up about being a Christian. You probably remember this passage where Jesus says, I tell you, whoever acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. But he who disowns me before men will be disowned before the angels of God. It's pretty intense. Jesus says, you're going you're to deny me on earth? You're going to be ashamed of me in front of your friends? He goes, then I'll be ashamed of you when you come up there. I'll disown you before the angels of heaven and before God himself. He goes, but if you speak up for me here on the earth, I'll speak up for you. And this word acknowledged, two, two things I want to say about it. One is that it was a public confession, being willing to speak up for Jesus in public. But the word itself, homo legato. And the greek homo meaning the same and legeo means to speak it, it means to speak the same will you speak the same things i spoke see jesus said there's a god in heaven who can send your body to hell so i in turn speak the same thing and say to you listen there is a god in heaven and he can send your body to hell jesus says i'm the way the truth and the life no one comes to father except through me so i say the same thing you know what Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. He says He's the Son of God, He died for your sins, and I'd say the same thing. He's the Son of God, He died for your sins. And you guys, I can't ever read this verse again without without thinking of Stan Gerlach. And, and some of you guys know the story. I've told this before. Stan, you, you guys remember Stan Gerlach? I mean, Stan, I just, I, I love that guy. Just a cool guy. Some of you guys may know John and Tammy Gerlach. They go to our church, John, Tammy, and Travis. Um, it was John's dad. And a few years ago, Stan Gerlach, he was over at, by Simi Hospital, and they were doing a memorial service. And at this memorial service, people were standing up and giving eulogies. Well, Stan gets up, and he decides to confess Jesus Christ in front of everyone. He just decides to tell everyone about Jesus and about how to get to heaven. He says, you know what, And this man who died, he's in heaven. I helped lead him to the Lord. And he gives this whole story and, and explains the gospel, but then he says to the people there, he looks at them and he says, listen, you don't know when God's going to decide to take your life. And at that moment, but there's nothing you'll be able to do about it. Are you ready? His daughter-in-law told me he said it twice. Right before he sat down, he said it again. He looks at the people and he says to them, listen, you have no control of this. You don't know when God is going to take your life. And at that second, there's nothing you can do about it. Are you ready? Then he sat down looks at his wife and says i feel this weird pain in my chest he falls over and dies in the middle of the memorial service his sons you know trying to bring him back to life they're doing CPR, everything else trying to bring him back they couldn't paramedics come rushing in trying to bring him back to life they can't it was his time it was exactly like he said when god decides to take your life there's nothing you can do about it and you just have to be ready I get the phone call, you know, in my office, I go rushing over to the Gerlach home and they're just getting home. Susie, you know, his wife comes out of the car, just bawling, you know, and just sees me and just comes running over to me, just holding me, just crying, just going, my husband, he's, he's dead, he's gone, we've been married for all these years and what's life going to be? Oh. Then John, John, his son, you know, comes up, you know, big guy, you know, just coming up to me, just tears in his eyes, he goes, my dad dad's gone then he goes he goes Francis but I'm so proud of my dad because do you realize my dad died doing what he loved doing most he was telling people about Jesus when he died and he retells the whole story then grandkids start coming into the house neighbors friends start coming in the house and then I walk into the home and then they say to me they go Francis will you would will you address us would you say something to us and you know, and I'm holding my Bible, just thinking, where do I turn? You know where I ended up turning. The Holy Spirit took me to this passage, and I read it. I read it for, out of Matthew, Matthew ten, where I said, "Do you understand? Jesus says, if you will confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven." And I said, and I stopped everyone. and I go, would you guys stop just for a second and just imagine, imagine how Stan felt today?" one second he's on earth looking at a bunch of people saying you guys this is who jesus christ is and then one second later he's standing in heaven and he hears the voice of jesus going father this is who stan gerlach is can you imagine i mean i just got i left there i kept thinking what would it feel like, what would it feel like to hear Jesus Christ talk about me, confess me? I mean, what would that moment feel like? If I, if I died today, and, and you know, the first thing I hear is Jesus talking to the Father and all the holy angels, saying, oh, this is Francis, he spoke up for me. He wasn't scared. Other people were saying, oh, you know, that's not a sin anymore. That's not a sin anymore. No, but he, he spoke up. He told the truth about us. And I sit here right now and imagine what that feel like to have my Lord and Savior speak about me before the angels, before his father, to say Francis wasn't afraid of people. imagine, just think for a second, what would that feel like? Can you imagine Jesus said, you know, this is Joe, Joe Barsuglia, he wasn't scared he just said what needed to be said this is Burke, he just said what needed to be said, he spoke up for us, I mean, what's that moment going to feel like to have Jesus speak up for me and then hear the Father go well done You guys, this is what I live for. I don't know what you live for. I don't know what you want at the end. You want everyone on earth? You want to have a great funeral and everyone on earth? You don't talk about how popular and how great you were? Or you want that? Jesus Christ giving you a reception and talking about how great you were, confessing you before the Father and the angels. Listen, it's for that reason that we don't fear people and we live our lives in fear of God and God alone because we want his applause, we want his protection, we want security in him and no one else. That's why people got baptized. When they got baptized, do you understand back then, that was the first thing you did as a Christian, you got baptized because you were publicly confessing, I'm not ashamed, I believe in Jesus. And at that moment, the moment they went in the water, their family looking on would ostracize them from their families, they'd lose their jobs, many times lose their lives but they just decided I'm gonna live a life where I'm dying to my old self and I fear God and God alone now. Some of you still haven't made that decision. You've been scared to do it, and I'm just saying, man, it's because you're scared of people. Scared rather than being scared of a holy God. And if the foundation of your faith is not a fear of the the holy God, then you've got nothing to build upon. You can't get the rest, because until you fear God, you can't really totally learn to love him and understand what a sacrifice a holy God made for you when he sent his son to die for you. It's an amazing, amazing thought when you get the whole picture.